You ready? Let's do this. Well, uh, hello everyone and welcome back to the Grow Oklahoma podcast. I am Dr. Ogunsoya, your host. And today we have a wonderful guest in the studio and I cannot wait to explore their story together. For those that are just joining us, welcome to the podcast. And for our returning guests, welcome back. This is the Grow Oklahoma podcast show, an initiative of the tracking and evaluation core of the Oklahoma Shared Clinical and Translational Resources. This is a place where we highlight the processes of clinical and translational researchers in Oklahoma and those who support them. We cover a broad range of topics and we're here to just provide support along the way. Today on the the podcast, we have a dynamic woman. If you have met her before or been in a meeting with her before, you just know how sweet and definitely how passionate she is about not just mentoring, but faculty development. So she earned her doctoral degree at the University of Oklahoma and at OUHSC, which is currently where she works. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Family and Preventive Medicine. She's also an assistant director for faculty development. She's a director for the Oklahoma Center for Mentoring Excellence and an assistant director for faculty development. Within her roles, she supports a variety of professional development opportunities for faculty here at OUHSC. Her vast experiences have allowed her to acquire a unique set of skills that has allowed her to collaborate successfully with a diverse body of learning communities. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Natasha Mikkel to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Mikkel. Hello, how are you? Oh my goodness. I'm doing great. I'm doing and I'm so, so excited to have you on the podcast. And thank you. Thank you for hitting the call, um, for signing up right away and for trusting the process. Really means a lot to sure, me. Thank you. Sure, thank you. no problem. Happy to be here. <laughs> And congrats on all of your achievements. You know, I knew of, of your work with Ogmi, but I didn't know about your other role. So congratulations on all of your accolades, by the Thank way. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, let's just start from the basics. How did you grow up? And I'm always particularly interested in happenings in your childhood that probably predicted your current path. Okay. So I will tell you up front that people will hear this and this is my married name and it's actually pronounced Michael. It looks like Michael, Michael, but it's actually Ooh. pronounced Michael. So I get that all the time. So I answer to both Michael and Michael. <laughs> but you know, when you marry someone with a difficult last name, you just take it and run with it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what was your maiden name? And thanks for that correction, by You're the welcome. way. Oh, I just accorded Dr. Natasha yeah, Michael. What's okay. your maiden name, by the way? Roberts, like Julia Roberts. Nobody ever <sighs> messed that up. Nobody misses that. Nobody but you'd be surprised if you go to Starbucks, there's bound somebody to mess that That's up. That's true. So they might go <laughs> Starbucks will be like, exactly, yeah. hold, hold my coffee, let me show yeah, you how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but on to your question that you asked me, you know, I'm actually not from Oklahoma. I was born and raised in Virginia and graduated. From yeah, I graduated <laughs> from um, high school in Virginia, did all my, you know, youth, elementary, secondary school there. And decided to move to Oklahoma because college was a lot cheaper. So, um, you know, I grew up in a town that is there is not diverse at all. Um, the only diversity that I went to school with was family members. So um, I always felt like growing up, you know, that I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. And I was always disappointed mm. by that, that I felt like, you know, when they would have discussions about slavery or diversity, everybody in the classroom would look at me like, you know, you must know what it's like and you, your opinion, you know, must mean a lot now that we're in, you know, Black History Month or talking about the revolution or when the slaves came to the United States. So it wasn't, uh, the pressure. Yeah, it wasn't a very good, <laughs> um, as far as diversity and inclusion, it wasn't very good uh, environment, but I did learn a lot and there are a lot of good people that live where I'm from in Charlottesburg, Virginia. Um, But I did feel a lot of pressure um, to perform, especially because I was, you know, not one of many and I wanted to make my family proud. So, you know, diversity and inclusion has always been a passion of mine to make sure that we understand how difficult it can be in some, in an environment where people feel isolated and how to support them and how to, you know, mentor them to make sure that they can, um, you know, have strong um, work ethics and achievements and support within their career. 
luckily I was blessed with a, a wonderful guidance counselor, him and his wife, who I'm still in contact with today, Mr. and Mrs. Curry, love you both. Um, and they were wonderful, wonderful mentors to me. They always, you know, continued to encourage me. They always followed me throughout my entire journey. And like I said, I still see them, you know, to this day, seen them this year for um, uh, a family emergency I had to attend to. But they are really, really great people. And they were some of my first mentors that I had that really were instrumental in my career development. Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, it's funny how a pain point which you you know grew up with and you found a way to adjust has become a, your life's mission. Yeah. And spot on on just the the stress that's what i could sense from your words that it takes to kind of expressing yourself not only did you have pressure of you know being from a home where there was a lot of expected of you but then you became like an unpaid ambassador for what you went to be black you had to keep teaching and keep teaching um that is an example i use about how in grad school i had almost nearly perfect attendance not because i necessarily wanted to be in class always but i was almost always the only black person right. in class and if i wasn't there <laughs> it was gonna be obvious not that anybody cared but i just you know I just wanted to be make sure that I was where I was. Right. But thanks for um, sharing. I definitely now see why you're so passionate about helping people cultivate that sense of belonging yeah. and not feeling that they have to like you know hide their light or you know be so stressed out by you know expressing their identity, especially cultural identity. So thank you for that. Sure. Now your role currently at OUHSC. Can you just walk us through your career t- trajectory? I mean, congrats by the way on everything you've accomplished so far. From you know that person growing up in Virginia till now, you've done a lot. Yeah. So how did you end up in your current role? Well, um, I actually was working for the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Education for like six years, and I was helping. What? Yeah, I was helping students. Um, did not know that. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, right down the street at Research Parkway. And, yes, um, I know where yeah. it's two hundred. Um, Research Parkway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Room two hundred. Yeah, so yeah. I was definitely um, within the whole educational system. But once I finished my PhD, I just knew it was time to move on to something that I, you know got my degree in and was more passionate about. Well, unfortunately, I'm really passionate about teaching faculty and there is no degree that you can get that Mm. says, oh, here's your degree in faculty development. Go get your job in faculty development. It doesn't work like that. You have to basically... And it's so needed. Yeah, you have... It is so needed. Well, you can... So I have my degree in educational psychology and and that helps you to understand adult learners. So in a sense, it's kind of related, but there is no specific thing. You have to get more professional development to do it and be invited essentially, or, you know, come into the, you know, to the, I would say the the group specifically to be able Mm -hmm. to do the work. Mm -hmm. Well, I end up sending an email from my Gmail account, by the way, to Dr. Williams Dr. Valerie Williams. And I said, you know, I'm really interested in faculty development. I'd love to have a conversation with you and learn a little bit more about what you do and, you know, see, you know, what's, what you're doing at OUHSC. And she responded, which I think is kind of funny now that you think about it, because who answers a Gmail to their OUHSC account? Nobody. Right. (laughs) It's like, and I didn't go to spam. yeah, Yeah. And it didn't go to spam. So it must've been meant to be. And we had a conversation and she's like, I can see you're really passionate about this, but unfortunately, you know, there's nothing that I have here at the university for you at this time. And I said, oh, it's great. No problem. I'm happy just that you were able to take the time to talk to me and that you're doing wonderful things with the faculty here on the medical campus. And she's like, you know, I'll keep your name and number. If something comes up, I'll let you know. And you hear that all the time and, you know, nothing ever pays Mm. out. Well, it actually did this Mm -hmm. time. About two months later, she emailed me and she said, you know what? I have a job for you. If you're interested, we're looking for someone to lead our mentoring initiative here on campus. Are you interested? And by the way, this was another meeting with her. And she since slips a piece of paper over and she's like, we can bring you in. I'd like to bring you in as assistant director for faculty development and then for you to lead mentoring here on this campus. And I walked away and I called my husband and I said, I think I just got a job. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I think she just offered me a job. He's like, well, did she or didn't she? I'm like, I think I just got a job. I think she did. <laughs> so th- seriously, that is how I came to OUHSC. And ever since then, it's been just like an amazing environment and opportunity. I mean, like, I believe in everything happens for a reason. And, you know, she yes. was, she is my mentor. She's my senior mentor to this day. And without her, 
you know, seeing something in me, I wouldn't be talking to you here at this hour. But also, I mean, definitely what you just said, but also to you for shooting that shot. Yeah. Following up and showing yeah, up. Yeah. I tell students. Wow. How long has it been? It's been, se- Sorry, no, no, it's been seven years since I've been here, but I tell that st- uh. story to students all the time. Don't be afraid to send a simple email. An email can you take know. you to a whole different like avenue in your path of life. You just literally never yeah. know. And if I never sent that email, I wouldn't be here literally today. She wouldn't know me. She wouldn't know what I'm mm-hmm. under, you know, what I was, um, you know, interested in. Passionate mm-hmm. about. Yeah. 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 And you're not even looking for a job. You know, you just reached out to her like, hey, I'd like to hear more about you. Yeah. You know. How did you find out about Dr. Williams, by the way? I went to, I searched faculty development in Oklahoma (laughs) and her name came up because she had recently received a mentoring award. So Uh, crazy. You never let that go. Even though you're working somewhere else. I knew I needed a mentor. And I also wanted to see someone at that time in my life, I needed to see my own self represented in what I was looking for. Mm. And that Dr. Mm, Williams mm, is mm. an African-American woman. I prefer to have an African-American woman because I still was in disbelief that I could do it. So I needed that Mm. sense of, I need to see someone who looks like me in the place where I could be. It was very important for my cultivation at the time. As I've grown, that's not as important to me now as I seek different mentors from different backgrounds or, you know, research collaboration. But at the time I needed to see that so I could see myself in her. And that's important. And I think this is why we talk about representation, balanced representation. And I solely, I'm strongly believing what you just said, that make sure you find mentors that will help you at whatever stage yes. of your life. At that stage of your life, you are looking for someone mm-hmm. like you, you know, who could really mirror what you wanted, but you weren't very clear as to how to move from point A to point B. And like you rightly said, in your current state right now, you probably diversified your mentorship. You're not particularly looking for, you know, specific right. profiles. But all that to say, get what you want, people. It's okay to look for people who look like yeah. you, who from your culture, who might even understand some of your pain points. And as you're making, making that upward mobility, you know, in your career, your needs are, are going to change. So don't feel bad for looking for certain yeah. mentors you get the help you That's need. That's right. And I love that you said that. It's exactly what I tell, especially students at the time, because especially when you're um, marginalized, you feel like you shouldn't yes, want yes, yes. someone who looks like you. Like that's something that Mm-mm. shouldn't be requested from you. And it's it's yeah, not right. Yeah. You should do that. And I talk about networking yeah. all the time. If I didn't have it here, I would have found it somewhere else. Don't be afraid to get out what you need. Exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, my needs have grown over the years. You know, I became a mom not too long ago. So I've been very, very interested in, you know, faculty members like me with young kids and how they're able to balance everything. Three years ago, I won't have, you know, sought that kind right. of help. So as I grow and I have different pain points, my needs are right. growing as well. And it's okay to find what you want. Thank you for that reminder. I mean, so many gems you're dropping oh. here. <laughs> so now let's talk about just, you know, mentoring in academia and professional development. I mean... I love mentors. I, I can never call myself a self-made person. You know, every achievement I've made, I've had people cheering me on and I still have people cheering right. me on. And so that concept of, you know, not wanting to acknowledge people that make you seem like you're self-made, that can never be me. But let's just talk about your own perspective. What do you, why do you think it's so important to have mentors? You know, I really think it's important to have mentors because they help you get to your achievement, your goals, your objectives way faster than you can on your own. And I tell people this all the time. If I didn't have someone like a Dr. Williams in place, seven years later would have actually taken me probably 10 to 12. You end up learning so much more, so much quicker because of you've learned from the mistakes of others and you're learning from the growth and the path that they've went to as well. So it's kind of like, you know, if we're talking about, you know, back in ancient times and we've taken the wheel from the wheel to, you know, a wagon to the wagon to a car and all the creations that we've made mm-hmm. over time, we're, we're continuing mm-hmm. to build on that schema that we've had in the past. It's very similar to mentoring. You don't want to start from scratch because it's going to take you a lot longer to get to a place in your career than it can with someone who's made mistakes, who knows the right path, who can give you the right answer. So that's going to be really, really important. So for me, mentoring is about making sure that you have someone to follow. So then when you go off on your own path, you've at least gotten to where they've gotten, 
So it took in three, they're showing you in one, and you can go on your own path even quicker. So true. I have a friend who says that experience should be listed as one of the sustainable development goals. Because what's the use of reinventing the wheel? Exactly. When you know someone who has gone through it, borrow their playbook, it makes life easier. Yeah. And then there's also that power of community, strength in numbers. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, faculty, as a faculty member, we go through a lot already. There's so much, so much just they were trying to like, you know, juggle. I mean, and if you're on a tenure track and then you have students you're working with, developing your class notes and then researching and grant writing and then funding, how do you really help faculty like really buy into that concept of development and also their wellness and what strategies do you employ in such a way that those lessons are sticking in when it comes to your own work um i would personally say that and it's actually ironic that i've said this because i actually learned this in my own personal coaching um than i did when i'm doing mentoring but it actually happens that we teach it in mentoring too which is the eisenhower matrix mm. It's that matrix that tells you the things that you need to do that are critical and, you know, the things that you need to do that are extractors and all these different types of things that really helped that put in perspective for me of how I need to work out the personal professional integration. So, for instance, for me, mm. it has distractions on there as like Netflix and, you know, like, you know, watching TV. But sometimes, though, for my self-care, I need to. Um, disengage and that's really important mm. for me so even though they put certain things in different boxes you still have to work out what works best for you and for yeah you. and so mm. for me it is a checklist I think a checklist is really important um, because it helps me say okay you are getting things done because you know you'll go throughout you've maybe answered 20 emails you've had 10 calls you've had 10 meetings but in your mind you're like I didn't do anything today right well you did do something you made a yeah. set progress on your on your uh, grant writing. You answered the emails that needed to be um, answered critically. You um, you know yeah. put some ideas with some colleagues on a meeting. So we need to have that as checklists. Like I am working towards progress, and we need to write it down. I see so many yeah. times people in their CVs they'll say I, my CV is bare, and I didn't realize that we're not really capturing all the work we're doing through the conversations, through the meetings. Do you know how many grants I submitted and we didn't get funded? Well, where do you capture that in your CV? How does that even work? So I tell people, mm. capture everything that you're doing and you're going to see you're way more produ productive as a faculty mm. member than you think. Wow, I love that checklist. And there's something I learned when I when I just started working here, and we had that faculty onboarding. Um, Dr. Williams led that, and it was I mean definitely revolutionized my my earlier life as a faculty. And then I I followed up with her for a one on one, and there was something she recommended because she saw through my CV and I talked about productivity. She was like, "Do you have your calendar all in one place?" I'm like, "No, my work calendar is all my work calendar." She's like, "No." You have to have all of your calendar in one place, like your gym time, your lunch time, your picking up your daughter from school time. And I'm like, well, we can do that. She's like, yeah, the commonality is you. So that helped. And then the checklist, just the satisfaction of crossing something off my Hallelujah. list in a day. And then you're using <laughs> color codes. Oh, the, the joy. joy. The joy. <laughs> the joy. The joy. Thanks for that reminder. And I've, I'm still doing that today. So today, yeah. you know, I have sticky notes everywhere. It looks like a crazy person's, you know um logic but it works yeah, it works it really works it works and we spend a lot of time sometimes you know on emails on responding to people but those are like part of the process as well so i think the key word here is grace yeah. and um learning how to use tools that'll be very very effective for you so thanks for that reminder Dr. Michael. so let, let's talk about still a little bit about um mentoring before we move on to the next block of questions okay. so you work with the oklahoma center for mentoring excellence mm -hmm. right what is that about then for those that are just hearing about this for the first time? How can it tap into the blessings you guys offer and, you know, the services you offer as well? Well, um, you know, what we did for the Oklahoma Center for Mentoring Excellence is we made sure that we didn't just say we're going to create a center for mentoring excellence because we want to. And this is what it's called. And we're just going to mentor people. We made sure that when we created this, this was a very well thought out process. We made sure that 
um, the director, which is myself, and the assistant directors that I work with, Dr. Brant Whisker and Dr. Rebecca Bourne, were trained through the National Research Mentoring Network. So we are properly mm. trained to be able to give this um, workshop. And we also made sure that all of the content was very thoroughly researched within peer-reviewed research. So we're not just coming up with this and just saying, we think this is what mentoring should be. There is a science to it. There is research behind what we do and how we present our workshops. So we base our workshops on six competencies of an effective mentor. Now, this has been given over the last 10 years over probably thousands of faculty members now that um, have went through this training. So the first two competencies that for the training that we do is maintaining effective communication and aligning expectations. They're the most important competencies that we have because communication is key to any relationship you have and ever so more important for a mentoring relationship. We make sure for the next two out of, so that's two, here's two more, which is assessing understanding and addressing diversity. Cause we wanna make sure that you understand that individuals are diverse beyond the color of their skin, beyond their ethnicity. Mm. They come from different generations. Mm -hmm. They have different backgrounds. They grew up different in a different family dynamic. They went to a different institution. Everything is different about diversity, not just the color of your skin. So we talk about that yeah. and how you're able to, you know, be more effective when you're working with someone more novice. And then lastly, we follow up by talking about fostering that independence and promoting professional development. And the reason why we end with those mm. two competencies is because no one is a mentee forever. Eventually, you want them yeah. to move on so they can become a mentor, so they can be successful. And how do you foster their independence so you can say, you know what? I took the time to mentor this person and now look how successful they are on their own. Ooh, that is beautiful. That should be like etch someone on a stone so we can never forget that <laughs> I, I, I liked how you emphasize you know effective communication and the role they play in any relationship period yeah. and then how much more in a environment like ours and you know thank you so much for all of that reminder now um let's talk about networking you talked about the, i mean you gave your, your you being here was a classic case of just you know intentional networking and following through and showing up right? right now we know that networking networking is um very crucial in career advancement how do you encourage faculty members to actively engage in networking opportunities you know the first thing i always say is that you want to make sure that you're engaging in social media this is something that you can't mm -hmm. get away from we're in the uh, in an age now where technology is definitely taken is, is advancing is definitely at the forefront. So you want to make sure that you're keeping up on the things that can make it very easy for you to stay connected with different people. So using things like LinkedIn, um, using things like, you know, Facebook or or Instagram or even TikTok can connect you to some people and hubs of groups that you wouldn't have had access to any other time. Um, I personally love LinkedIn because I think it's really important and it's always keeping me abreast of what's going on in the diversity and inclusion community um, and the mentoring community. So I prefer it, but there may be some other, um, you know, social media um, things like X, formerly known as Twitter, that people prefer Twitter. to do. <laughs> That people prefer to yeah. do, and so um, I still I'm not used to X either, by the way. Either, it just sounds either. like a street drug. It's I'm so like, weird. <laughs> I even I'm, I know I did a presentation not too long ago, and it's probably like I developed it like in the beginning of the summer or late spring, and I was using Twitter, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is old now. I need to update my uh, <laughs> my content. But yeah, so people love yeah. Twitter. And what's the X, conjugation? Whatever. You know, say oh follow me on twitter or oh, this is a tweet we just say this is an x you know i don't, I don't know. know like how do you conjugate it into words you know follow <laughs> me on x platform that's what there you go <laughs> x me back yeah it's super weird <laughs> um but i i think that they're important though because you know people can yeah. put their own thoughts you know very much independent from their own institution which is important and you know just talk about things in a very um succinct way just getting those thoughts and ideas out. So I think the number one thing is stay connected to social media. The next thing I'll say that I think is just as important is to um, make sure that you're using your network adequately. And what I mean by that is mm. ask some of the people that are part of your network to introduce you to like-minded individuals. It's nothing like saying, I'd like to introduce you to Mo. She's awesome. I've had a contact with her. We, we go to the same gym and she would be great for you to have a conversation with. Aren't you more likely to go want to meet Mo because you know me 
and I've, I've said mm-hmm. I know her and I've talked to her and she's mm-hmm. really cool versus just cold calling someone or sending them an email. So using your network to gain additional people within your network, I think is key. Wow. I love how you just went to the non-classic forums because when we think about faculty networking, we think of conferences, yes. you know, and Zoom calls, but you're like, you know, social media. And I know that so many people listening to this might be quite reticent to get on social media, but you have no idea just the power of networking. Now, I didn't know until maybe earlier this year that I needed to have an academic Twitter account. Because apparently, oh, it's a thing. It's a thing. So I've had my Twitter, I'm going to call it Twitter because X is just very funny to say. I've had my Twitter account before I even started working. I've had it since like 2009, 2008. So it's you know very personal and the feeds i get are kind of all over the place you know ranging from podcast recommendations to world news to things happening back home in nigeria and then i'd gone to give a talk in ohio my uh, my, my colleague who, who had invited me to come give a talk was like are you on twitter i'm like yeah but i'm like eh. she was like i'm like i don't think i want to tweet professional stuff because it's so personal i don't do anything crazy on there but it just feels very well it's like you need to get on academic twitter I'm like, what is that? She was like, yeah, you need to. And then right there and there, I opened a new one. And my goodness, it's been mind-blowing. You know, I get a lot of feeds that are curated to cancer research, Mm. to disparity studies. I see people who are like me, like your degrees of separation from people who do the kind of work you do. So this is a cute, get an academic Twitter. I didn't even know if there was an academic Twitter. You have to change your interests and say the kind of things you want to see. And then based on how you describe your profile, it suggests people to you. You know, and oh. it's and I have my two Twitter accounts right now, and it's like night and day. So that's another tip I like to throw in the hat. And I also loved how you say using your existing network. That is so old, but it's it's so good. You know, it's gold. Like the power of snowballing. Somebody who knows somebody, mm-hmm. have them introduce it to you, and that also opens a lot of doors. And I think sometimes you don't do a good job in following through. So that's also um I love how you just you know give those two big big points. Yeah. All right, um, let's talk about um, work-life integration, right? How are you doing it? You know, How you know, are you doing it? I think that I'm doing it a lot better than I used to because my sons okay. are more independent. Um, Chase is 12 and Chandler is nine. And when they were younger, it was not fun for sure. It was very, very difficult. Mm. But as they became more independent, I find I do find it easier to have that integration piece because I can say, I'm going to go do this. You go in your room and do what you need to do and entertain yourself. And they're fine with it. Before, you know, kids want to be held. They want your attention. They want to do things with you. They can't be left alone. You know, you're a parent and they're too oh, yeah. young to be left alone. But as they get older, it's better for you. I think the integration is a lot easier. And then they understand mom's doing this for us to have a better life, you know, for us to, for her to achieve her dreams. And they're more cognizant of what you're doing at your job. So I remember this was maybe two years ago. Um, This was during COVID, by the way. Um, And it was around the time we, you know, had our daughter. And I'd gotten on one of the meetings for Wisdom, you know. And it was, I think it was you and someone else, because we had talked about, it was for women only, just talking about their pain points. And there was something you shared about, because I talked about the guilt that comes with being a new mom and not thinking that you have enough time to come into work and then enough time to come into your child. And I just love how you, you and the other speaker, I forget her name, but I remember you clearly, how you normalize just, you know, it's okay. Your time is going to change now and now that you're a mom. And and I think that was very beautiful, like the power of just hearing someone who has gone ahead of you and is able to normalize what you're going through. Because as a first time mom, you feel like, oh, my goodness, it's the end of the world. I'm never going to be quite as effective. So I just want to say thank you for oh, that reminder. You're welcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I cannot wait to get to that point where my kids will be independent yeah. and I can get to do what stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be happy. Yeah. You'll be like, she said it. It was going to happen. They'll be on their devices. <laughs> They'll be watching a movie and they'll even forget you're yeah. in there. And you're like, oh, hallelujah. Oh. I'll I'll miss and mourn those days. Now, um, for 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 faculty members who are finding it very difficult to even um balance this, what are some of the tips you might be able to provide to them, women and men alike? You know, for women or men, I think you just have to find your path of what works for you because no person and no situation is the same. I personally am very blessed that I have um, a family member here, my sister-in-law. 
Rashanda Michael, who has been able to help me with my children. And that's been a big help for me. Some people may not have a family member and I understand that. And they may have to find alternative paths to be able to make sure their kids are taken care of and that they can have great, um, you know, home life as well as professional integration. I think you just have to find what works for you. Some people have good friends and they know that they can drop their kids off with a friend or some people may need to, you know, work with their manager to adjust their schedule so they can do what they need to do. I think it's, it's possible, but I think you have to really understand the, the nuances of your life and what you need. So it's hard for me to give like that overall encompassing. I have the right idea. I think it just depends on where you're at in your life and what's needed at that time. I would say also you can always ask HR, you know, cause you never know what can be done about uh, adjustment in your schedule. Um, talk to your boss and if remote you, work opportunities. Yeah, remote work. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's all different types of things that pre-COVID, you, I don't think people were willing to do that they are willing to do now because they understand you're still going to get the work done. Yeah. 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 Oh, and that's so true. You have no idea the amount of help that might be available to you. Just speak up. You never know. Mm-hmm. And um, present your case. And there's always help to be found is one thing I've re- realized. All right. The next question I'm going to ask you, it might be a little bit of projection, but just bear with me. Okay. So of being being um, um, of color and of uh, a minority, I imagine you've gone through a lot because, I mean, I'm fairly new in my career and I can tell you that it's been a lot of adjustment. And I think heavens for people like you and you know dr williams and other senior um colleagues of mine who have been almost like a source of a beacon of hope to understand that some of these issues might not necessarily be a personal problem it's just you being in a space that is different from what you're used to so for you and given just you know the diversity you bring and um we're also minorities on campus because we don't have a lot of black people on campus. What are some of the challenges you face? Like the biggest one when it comes to um, just, you know, I- your identity and how have you been able to navigate that? Oh, that's a that's a deep one. I'm like, whew. I would say. Have you had challenges, by the um, way, based on just. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have, but I, you know, sometimes yeah. I'd hate to say. I didn't get this opportunity or I didn't get that because of the color of my skin. I was black. You know? yeah, I mean, I yeah. hate to say it, but sometimes it feels like that. I will say this though. I'll say personally for me, it feels like it's a lot tougher in terms of us being female to get leadership positions mm. than it is for the color of my skin. Because it's not just, I don't see anybody who looks like me. I don't even see my gender represented. So I'll, I'll just- It's a double, yeah, you know, double whammy. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't even see a female, so let alone a black female, you know, that's why I think it's, you know, I I don't know. I think it's just a a challenge in itself in academia. I don't really necessarily Mm. be like, oh, well, this institution has eight um, black deans, you know, that doesn't I haven't seen that anywhere. So I feel like it's a it's a problem. Let me just say this. When I look at a problem or some type of thing that is. like an outlier, I want to understand whether or not it's just something happening in Oklahoma or it's broad across academic institutions. Mm, Having mm. people of color in leadership positions is a broad problem across all academic institutions and even more so in academic medical institutions. So I'll just say that first Mm. and foremost. Secondly, Mm. um, I I have been incredibly blessed with a wonderful amount of colleagues here at the university whether or not they are, you know, African-American or Caucasian or um, Asian heritage. So I surround myself with diverse individuals and maybe I'm just more attracted to diversity. And so I don't feel like I've had as many issues with people basing me or, or harming me or keeping me out of spaces because of the color of my skin. I think it's more of an institutional level problem where we don't have enough females, first and foremost. And secondly, we don't have enough people of color within the institutions and leadership positions. That was, I mean, spot on. Thank you for, for even like exploring, uh, like that deep exploration into some of those contextual problems that might be above, beyond and above skin color. And it could just be how, institutions tend to like you know default towards the status quo and I, I love how you provided that response thank you for that so we've talked a lot about diversity and inclusion 
and I know in, in in our part of the world, like in Oklahoma, it's a word that some people might not perceive positively, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, you know, the kind of political landscape we're in. But how do you define um, diversity and inclusion? And why do you think it's very important to consider that in an orga- organizational landscape? You know, because diversity and inclusion for me is important because we all deserve an opportunity to be anywhere we want to be. And what diversity and inclusion to me personally does is it opens up avenues and areas for people who may not have had an opportunity without initiatives for diversity and inclusion. So for instance, I have um, started with the help of Dr. Robert Salinas, a program called OU Med Rev Up Program. And what we do is it's not exclusively for people of color, but we encourage people of color to apply for those who think that they don't have a path into medical school because medical school is very hard to get into. And of what we were seeing throughout research is that it wasn't that the students weren't getting the grades, they couldn't have, uh, they didn't have competing scores on their MCAT. So we created a a program to where we would give um, a free comprehensive Kaplan uh, MCAT course to those who needed it to be able to get and be competitive within medical school. And I'm happy to say we even Got have it. medical students who went through the program um, when it first started in 2020 that are in their third year of medical school. So it does work. And the program is really important because they need that extra help and leg up because they don't come from a family who can afford three, four thousand dollars on a course to help them achieve the scores that they need. They're not less intelligent. They're not less capable. They just don't have the resources that maybe others do to put towards this extra you know, resource that they need to get a competitive score. So first, I would just say for diversity and inclusion, it's about giving people an opportunity, having them believe in themselves that they can make it just because they don't, you know, based on the color of their skin and they don't see others that look like them. So I would say secondly, in Oklahoma, I know people are really upset now about the word diversity and inclusion. um, But without those initiatives, I don't know if I would be where I'm at today. It already feels really hard when you're a first generation college student like myself and this this innate feeling of, of the pressure of making it and, you know, being the first in your family. And then you look around and you don't see anyone who looks like you. So you didn't even question then if you're going to make it or not. So to me, th- these are really important programs and opportunities for those to feel more welcome. Um And so I think it's important for us to still have these programs. I think it's important for us to cultivate this. And never has it been to where if we've had a diversity and inclusion initiative or program that anyone, regardless of their background, can't come to it or join in. It's just to give people who need that extra support an opportunity to be in that space. When we talk about the difference between, you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity, that's really what the diversity and inclusion piece is about, is equity, is that we need to give some people who don't have a chance a little bit higher up on the box so they can see over the baseball field too. It's a it's yes, a it's yes. an iconic image where you see these different boxes yeah, that the yeah, kids the, are standing yeah, on, yeah. you know. <laughs> equality, yeah, equity, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, they need a little bit yeah, more so yeah. they can see over that that fence too just to make it just to see the game that's what we're talking about yes yes the view is always nicer when you're able to see something right i mean you're challenging me a lot with these questions um and thank you thank you for answering that and i love how you defined it just providing a form of equal opportunity to those who might need it and it's not targeting a particular set of people it's a call out to anybody who might need it but we found that historically there's a set of people who tend to be marginalized because they don't see themselves were represented yes, in those spaces. Yes, you know? perfect way to say it. Love it. <sighs> I'm tempted to ask the next question about affirmative action. So we know that federally it's been struck mm-hmm. out. What's your personal opinion about that? And it's okay if you're not able to answer it, but I just feel like it's something we should talk about. Now that we've talked about diversity and inclusion, when you heard about it being, you know, um, struck out, you know, federally by the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. What was your thoughts about that? And how do you think it's going to affect the dynamic in schools and in the workplace? Well, I will say in Oklahoma, we've d- they had done away from, from my knowledge, affirmative action a long time ago. So it wasn't even utilized here like that. And I, <laughs> and I will say, I don't even see a lot of places really enforcing it, in my opinion, 
So I didn't, that's just my personal opinion. I will say that Mm -hmm. I think it's just as important if we did keep those type of programs, just like I said, for the opportunity for others who would never have gotten a chance to be in in a space, and now a chance to be just as competitive as others. So I'm not saying we just, you know, it's there for people to just use it as a way just to be there and take up an opportunity, even though they don't want to be there. I'm talking about the people who really want to be there. They can't afford it or they don't have just the, you know, the opportunity to get the resources to get the scores that they need. I think it's important to still have those type of um, opportunities. And, you know, I still think it's something that I I kind of like um, kind of smirk at, I guess, a little bit about this idea of taking affirmative action away when I'm like, they act like affirmative action was for a school or an acceptance rate to be 90% African-American, you know, or 90% Hispanic or 90% Asian oriented. And I'm like, that's not what it was for. It was only to give a small percentage of the people who were already getting in. So that's what I always find ironic where I'm like, okay, you're taking something away that was still only forcing you to give a percentage uh, to a certain marginalized community. And now you're not forced to. So what does that say about us? Yeah. 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 For me, I didn't think it was super perfect, but I think that at least it helped to bring to the fore, like some of these issues we've talked about, like lack of representation. And now that is no longer there, my fear is that large corporations and establishments, how are they going to be accountable, you know, and resist that? status quo of wanting to hire people who look like mm-hmm. them who share their language and mirror their behaviors mm-hmm. right and that's just my fear because when it was there it made people act want to act right because you know you went you might not be able to get access to some line of credit you know maybe sbas and all that now that is no longer there was incentive to to act right right but i just i don't know i see i see both sides of the story but i feel like we're still not answering the question like What's going to happen now, especially for those that have been, you know, marginalized and there's no way they'll be represented in the spaces. Right. But thank you. Thank you for um, shedding more light to that. Now, in I'm sure you probably do this. You probably have your your group of people who are like you and you guys talk about just the challenges of being in the workspace. There's something I'd like to ask you. Maybe you're able to provide like an answer. There's a common theme in the sense that for people like us, uh, like minorities in workplaces that don't have a lot of people like us, there's a way we tend to kind of like, we're kind of misconstrued. They might deem us to be loud or we don't talk enough, or they might deem us to be aggressive and all that. And you always have to find, almost like you're always, you know, keeping a stiff upper lip or trying to not be too much, or just trying to just dim your light. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of cultural stress that comes with that. For women like like me or women who have gone through these kind of issues, what kind of words can you you know use to encourage them? I mean, especially when they're getting a workplace that is not well supported, you know, um, for their growth and you know, development. You know, I would say that you know everybody. Some people are really upset or snicker at the word of code switching or the phrase, <laughs> but I think that that's something to me personally. When I'm in a workspace and I say, for instance, if I was just hired at OUHSC and I go in that space, I don't know those people and not necessarily would I ever want to know them personally, but I do come Mm. into a space always professionally. That's going to be Mm. the difference between me. I don't think it's about dimming your light as a person. I think there's a a difference between being professional in a space and then having your personal space. Now, there are times when I have been personal at work as I've gotten more comfortable and I feel really comfortable being myself and saying what I want to say off cuff. But I think there's a Mm -hmm. term between you being professional, making sure you come in with the best attitude, that you use the best language, that you're careful of what you say, because you don't want to have them in your personal world. So I I just feel like for me personally, I'm just like, I have now become somewhat personal with certain people at my job, but I always remain professional because I don't want to let people into necessarily who I am 100% of Natasha at work. 
that's mm. for me to keep mm. a piece of myself when I come home to my family and my friends. So I always go in the terms of not about code switching as much. Well, I guess it would be. I just know that I'm mm. when I'm in a professional space, I can be a certain way. And then when I'm home, you know, I am the myself. They are not two separate people. They're just two separate dimensions of who I am. Say Natasha, it's just, I would like to keep this more in a certain space versus to share my space of everything. I want to keep one box here and another box over there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Code switching and then keeping a little bit of mystery around you and then knowing your audience most importantly, yeah, yeah. right? All right. Thank you. Thank you. kind of winding down but i had a couple of questions so i know um your initiative you guys have done a lot in pro pro um, promoting you know belonging and um, improving faculty development as a matter of fact just a few weeks ago it was um the week of belonging or belonging week where you had conversation cafes now for institutions how do you like what advice would you give to institutions who are still striving to enhance inclusivity within their academic communities well, I think it's really important that you have um, champions that are diverse. So it's hard to, you know, go out and say, hey, let's be diverse here when there is no diversity of the people who are supposed to be championing it. So that's first and foremost. Take a look at who you're having within your circle who's supposed to be promoting diversity and inclusion and make sure that they have diverse backgrounds. That's not necessarily always about the color of your skin, but it is about what people perceive first sometimes. So you have to be careful with that and you have to make sure, do you have diversity? Who's responsible for those type of inclusive events? Secondly, I would say that it's important for you to have the conversations, have lunches, have coffees and things like that for people to get out of their element within the office or within a conference room to come together to just have conversation to meet and to be friendly because those type of spaces I think spark a lot of innovation and um, collaboration that you just can't get from a meeting, you know, at 12 o'clock or, you know, a session that you're going to have for this committee or whatever. So I think it's important for you to have some relaxed events or more like, um, you know, conversational, discussional events, just so people can feel relaxed and talk about the day to day things that can spark or lead to innovative ways of thinking. Thank you. I love that the relax, relaxed events, yeah. like making people just wind down and but providing that space for them to be able to, yeah. you know, connect with one another. Because so much that we, I just believe in the power of community, yeah. and you just, you know, echo that. Thank you. All right, as you know, this podcast is an initiative of the um, OSCTR, and your work in mentoring definitely feeds into what OSCTR is about. How would you say OSCTR has, you know, this is you trying, this is me asking you to help us to that hunt. What, what would you say has been the most important bit of being part of OSCTR and how that has really helped you in your purpose here on campus? You know, OSCTR is, is instrumental. I would say number one, because without their um, support, Oklahoma Center for Mentoring Excellence wouldn't exist. It's halfway funded between the Office of the Provost and the OSCTR grant. So it helps the initiatives on campus be able to thrive in, in the areas of mentoring. And I would also say that um, they're incredibly supportive to any type of new avenue or um, a directive of how we want to engage mentors on campus. They don't just stay in one tone. They're always looking for you to increase your innovation, to look at mentoring different, to come up with new and, and, and capable ideas of distributing mentoring on campus. So I would say that they're definitely a wonderful partnership and uh, very instrumental to what we do in terms of mentoring on campus and research. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, you said it well. I mean, this podcast, who would have thought that this came out of the surveys we had given out to PIs to talk about pain points? And the biggest thing that came out of there was, we don't know who does what on campus. Everybody works in silo. I'd like to have a resource where I can know who's doing well. Well, here's the op opportunity sponsored by OSTR. So thank you to OSTR for making this um, very possible. Yeah. So um, before you go, um, real quick, your OCME, what are some of the projects you're rolling out? If you had liberty to tell us in the next few years, and then for those who are curious to really know about your work more with OCME, is there like an email address or where they can find you? Sure. Well, I will say first and foremost, we do have some information about mentoring and we have our mentoring workshops listed on factdev. 
.ouhsc.edu. That's the faculty development page for the university. So you can find mentoring there. And then you can always email me at natasha-michael at ouhsc.edu. Um, other than that, I would say that, you know, the Oklahoma Center for Mentoring Excellence, we always do our semester trainings for faculty, mentees, and mentors. So we do that every semester. So if you're interested in that, um, we send a flyer out every year at the beginning of the semester to sign up for that. And that's through Zoom. We just had our first one um, Tuesday and uh, that was pretty successful. And then we will have two more to end the series because we do two competencies for each workshop. We make sure we do it over lunch hour so it doesn't take too long, about an hour and a half. And then afterwards you get a certification and you can add it to your curriculum vita. Beyond that, we also have a ECHO project um, in which we're doing networking, mentor networking. So if you're interested in that, also contact us and we'd be happy to steer you in the right direction to some of those workshops that talk about expanding your mentoring network. And then we're going to be coming out with some um, advanced mentoring workshops for those who've taken the mentoring workshops through OCME over the last couple of years. We're just going to follow up and have a simple lunch and learn for you to talk about some of the issues that you may be having. Have you been implementing the competencies that we went over in the first workshop? So look out for that because we're happy to have those conversations as time goes on. And can I just say, as someone who's been in those environments where these meetings have taken place, it's super, super helpful. It's not just, you know, telling you about things that are theoretical. You hear from people who you maybe look up to telling you about their pain points and how they've navigated it. It's so real. It's so raw. Highly recommend 100% 10 over 10. Oh, thank you. Um, then thank you so much for that. I'm going to put all of your email address and all of that in the show notes. Now, on to the lighter questions. You know, how, outside of your professional life, what are some of hobbies or interests that you engage in that brings joy to you? Okay. <laughs> Number one thing that brings joy to me is crime shows. <laughs> what? I started a true crime fan. Which one is your favorite one? True crime shows or podcasts? Mm hmm. Oh, is, is that one of them? Okay. True crime shows. My favorite one <laughs> is First 48. Really? Oh, the, the classic one? Yes. <laughs> well, they come on. They're new now, too. Oh, really? Yeah, girl. On A&E TV. That's it. That's where I stay. I just don't like the voiceovers. It's, they tend to be so dramatic. Like, just, just straight, go straight to the point. I just love that it's, like, live. And I'm, like, not, like, live, <laughs> but, like, real and, like, an hour and a half from me in Tulsa. And I'm like, what happened? So I'm just, in, I'm so intrigued. So I like that. I like Snapped. Yeah. You know, all those different shows. I love Snapped. It was my Sunday treat. Yes. It was my Sunday yes. Snapped. It was yeah, my, yeah. my women who Snapped. I'm like, let me just watch it. Yep. <laughs> and, and I realized that, it, you know, I was so curious about people, but I realized anybody can Snap. It is just like. Anybody not can. not above anybody. anybody it's can. anybody. Okay. And so I love true crime. I'm a true crime junkie. Yeah. Um, so that's my number one passion. And then secondly, I would say. How about podcasts? You need to tell us about your podcast. podcast. The ones you listen um, to. I listen to, it's called Morbid Creatures. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. It's two no, women. Don't know that one. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, two sisters who talk and this, they just talk about different um, crimes that happen. But they tell it in such a way that I'm like, I may have watched it on a show, but the way that they do it. But it's it different. Feels, you know, it's different. It's really cool. Okay. You need to check out this person. Rod and Mango. Rod and Mango. Okay. By Stephanie Sue. She's a good storyteller. Okay. And the second one is that chapter. Okay. By Mike. Like, I don't like, you know, we know it's sad. Someone died. Someone got yes. murdered. I don't like when they sensationalize the story. I like how they bring the victim's perspective. Yes. That's what Me I too. like about true crime Me show. Too. Like, and I know there's a, there's a psychology behind you wanting to hear something quite morbid. We can talk about that separately because it doesn't sound normal that we enjoy listening to things that are quite heavy. But I just like knowing about the victims more. And, you know, and then sometimes they talk about the fundraisers or a little bit about their stories, which sometimes is left out from the sensationality. That chapter, Rotten Mango, I love them for that reason. They do not sensationalize the stories. They do not. So check them okay, out. Okay, I'll do that. On YouTube. And yeah, I actually, they have their podcast I'm actually well. more curious about the um, humanistic part of it, as in yes, why psychology, the behavior. the behavior. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that? Sometimes you don't have I know, wives. And you that's, did you hear about, you don't hear what, like the nurse who murdered like babies yeah, in the UK? Yeah. Like why? Why? You never, sometimes you never get the answer to why. And I just wanted to evil know. Evil is just evil. And I'm going to tell you a second reason why I loved watching them. It's more so too. Which one? That if something happens to me, then I'm not dumb enough to be like, 
I seen that on the crime show. I'm not walking <laughs> towards that. I'm going another way. So I feel like it's protective too, where you're like, I'm not going to do that. That's dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, you always hear, oh, she was the life of the party yeah. everywhere she went. I'm like, maybe I should make my behavior a little bit yeah. bad. So that way I can live longer. Because it's the nice ones that are, you know, getting killed up. <laughs> or the people who are like, just not paying attention, right? Like, I should have seen that. I know. Or that's a good point. I, I shouldn't do that. Or we shouldn't leave our campus late at night without a police escort. Because I've done it a, a thousand exactly. times. And so, or just get on your phone and just walking. You're not paying not attention paying to your nothing. immediate environment. Yes. yes. Your ears are blocked. Yep. You know, you're on your phone. You know. Yeah. 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 And then you know we're naturally paranoid as females and as yes. blacks, but you need that extra layer of protection. Yes. Oh wow! So true crimes. That is interesting to note because I'm a true crime buff I as love well. It. Um, <laughs> Now we can connect on yeah. that. Um, so lastly, we'll be at this. Um, what's an intriguing or unusual fact about you that not many people know? Oh, my goodness. Um, what would not be? Oh, goodness. Um, what's an intriguing fact that not a lot of people know? Oh, my goodness. That's a hard one. That's okay. Um trying to think of something because every time I think of something it's always my kids my kids my kids so um oh that's cute uh, <laughs> I know, I, oh gosh did not a lot of people know oh I don't know if it's an intriguing factor that not a lot of people know but I can sing Ooh, what part is it auto surprise I have no idea I grew up in the church so we just sang okay so I don't know I would say probably more alto, wow. maybe. Definitely not soprano. You still sing? Um, no. I mean, oh, yeah. I sing. I grew up in the church singing, <laughs> and I grew up um, United Methodist um, domination, denomination, and um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I grew up in the church singing and singing with my cousin Monica, Monica Strother. Hey, girl, shout out. Um, and we would be up there singing like. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah, we did. I can feel quite, that song. It wasn't quite like that, but you know, we was we thought we yeah. was all that, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> we had watched oh, a movie. You, I don't know if you remember the movie um Sister what, Sister Act Sister Act, Act Two Girl. Sister Act. We thought we yeah, was like yeah, that choir. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We whoopy go over. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. A we one. were singing yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was the movie, wasn't it? Yeah. And Lauren. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lauren yeah, Hill. Yeah, that was yeah. It. It's a good yeah. one. Imagine if I had a choir on campus, like for like Christmas and like a like a chair, like a what's what's it, what they call them, like a chair group or something like that, where we just have performances. You guys can put that as part of faculty development. Yeah. I'd like to see something yeah, like that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. I'm gonna fly my cousin at Monica out here, and we'll 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 do a little ditty up there. <laughs> like show choir, yes, yeah, that's what I was that's trying to look for. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, Doctor Michael. It's really big. I felt like for this episode, I could see myself just losing up a little bit. <laughs> At a point, I kind of forgot that this is for work, you know. <laughs> but I think that's because it's you. You made me so relaxed that I just let my guard down. But it was it made for a very robust conversation. Yeah. I want to thank you for coming on the sure, podcast. It was, fun. it was really, really such an honor hearing you know about the things you do, your passion for faculty development, and even your how you define diversity and um, inclusion. I felt like that definition, if everybody adopted it, we'll all, you know, wonder because at the end of the day, it's again win-win for everybody. Yeah. I love how you um, emphasize shooting our shots, like you meeting with Dr. Williams and the importance of cultivation, of networking, of mentors, of effective, you know, um, communication and using social media, you know, for networking and using your own within your own source and having them do snowballing yeah. to get what you want to get. And, um, just everything you've shared today, I want to just say thank you. Sure. It's been such a great time meeting with you, and I hope you you also loved your time here. Yeah. So thank you so much. It's been a great time. Thank yeah. you for yeah. having me. Uh, thank, thank you. you so thank much. you so much. And please recommend people to us. Oh, we will. need more speakers. It's so hard getting people to come on the podcast, but I hope it was enjoyable for you. But thank you. It thank is. You, thank I will definitely <laughs> let some colleagues know. I have some people that I can get on there for sure. Awesome, sauce. Have a wonderful afternoon. All right. Thank you. Bye. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. This was a wonderful episode. I'm still just grinning from year to year. And I don't know if you can tell from my voice, but I'm, I'm so excited. This has been the Glocahoma podcast show. 
uh, an initiative of the Oklahoma Shared Clinical and Transitional Resources, the OSCTR. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of the podcast, please email us at Podcast at ouhsc.edu. The official app for the podcast is Podbean, but then you can always catch us on any other major platforms. As we conclude this episode, we encourage you to stay curious and continue exploring the exciting advancements in clinical and transitional research in Oklahoma and beyond. I remain your host, Dr. Gunsaya. Thank you so much and have a good day. Bye-bye. That was good. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs>